Curtis Lewa. Curtis Lewa. Rip and read. Check this out. This is the Rip and Read featuring Curtis Lewa. Talking about now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. This is the Rip and Read. Yes, hello, uh, this is Curtis Lewa taking the baton from uh, Sid Rosenberg. Um, when you get a chance that we can come in with Officer Crumkey from uh, uh, West Side Story, I realize that Sid Rosenberg has sabotaged uh, my effort to finish up this week in substitution uh, for Brian Kilme, who should be back on Monday. Remember how this week started? It was bifurcated by the King Solomon of WABC, John Katsimatidis. What he did was, in a King Solomon-like way, he decided to split the two hours in half. It would normally be part of the Brian Kilmeade package, 10 to 12. Now, on prior occasions, there was no uh, hesitation. they just give me all two hours, and then, obviously, I'd go right into the rip and read from 12 to 1. But for whatever reason, and I think it really has to do with the beef that I've had with the boss man, John Katzmatidis, over left versus right, the fact that I had basically developed Anthony Weiner for over a year on Saturdays, 4 to 5. He has since expanded his program. He starts at 2 to 4. He goes one-on-one with all the Trumpers on Saturday. And then it's uh, left versus right, Anthony Weiner versus now a series of combatants, so when I first came down with Scabies, Norwegian Scabies, about three months ago, John Katzmantidis texted me, said, hey, 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 stay at home. You got to do uh, the, the other side of midnight, the better side of the other side of midnight, Saturday mornings, 12 to 6 on nights. They let me do it twice, 12 to 6 on Sundays. Why don't you just max and relax and not come in 4 to 5? I said, uh, okay. And then all of a sudden, what about next Saturday? No, I got it. Uh, no, John, I got it. Uh, no, John, I got it. And the ratings went to the roof. So they put me on the bench. Then I said, put me in, coach, John Katzmatidis. And he said, no, no, not so quick. I got Roger Stone from the Stone Zone, who was on Sundays uh, from 4 to 6. He's going in there with Anthony Weiner like two scorpions in a brandy glass. They did two Saturdays back-to-back, belly-to-belly, left versus right. The ratings were were better than even with John Katzmatidis. So then he makes me the bat boy of the Staten Island Ferry Hawk. So at least I'm on the field. Now he's assigned me to the bullpen because I said, what's up, coach? Am I going to be on tomorrow, Saturday, 4 to 5, left versus right? He said, oh, no, no. The new superstar here at WABC, Dominic Carter, who actually was the first WABC radio talk show host at the old WABC to announce on the radio when he was there that Donald Trump would become the next president of the United States. And everybody looked at him there and said, get out of here. Bernie did at the time. Sid was a Hillaryite. Most of the others were neutral. And I even said when Dominic had joined me on the ice, there's no way. It turns out that uh, that Donald Trump, in his uh, forward of a book, had written extensively about Dominic, who was the face and the voice of New York One, the local news station here when it first launched for Time Warner, and obviously has become a great talk uh, radio host in his own right. I call him the... Uh, the second coming of Bob Grant, except the black version. He's really good now. 
But he is was the first to be a Trumper, the first to go to the mat for Donald Trump, candidate Donald Trump in 2016 against Hillary. And boy, you don't want to miss it. Uh, Saturday, left versus right, Dominic Carter versus Anthony Weiner, and it will be a slugfest. And wrong way, Lou Rafino, you know where uh, boss man is assigned me, the manager, John Katzmatidis, the bullpen uh, of the Ferry Hawks. You can't even see me now. Who else are they going to put in the ring? But anyway, uh, I need my officer, Crumpke, now that you have figured out from the discronificator that was blocked by the outgoing Sid Rosenberg, who giveth and taketh. First of all, he'd be patting me on the back. Oh, you're so good. You're number two here at WABC. Then he launched into a diatribe, all the reasons I'm not. Then he reeled me back. I'll get him over the weekend if it's the last thing I do. So let's get right to it. Wrong way, Lou Rafino and Justin Ellick with a classic song from uh, West Side Story. When gangbangers respected cops, because they certainly don't do now. Officer Crumpke. You gotta understand It's just our bringing up key That gets us out of hand Our mothers all are junkies Our fathers all are drunks Golly Moses Naturally we're punks Gee, Officer Crumpkey We're very upset We never had the love That every child ought to get We ain't no delinquents We're misunderstood Deep down inside us There is good There is good There is good There is good There is untapped good Like inside Arriba, arriba. That's a touch and good story. Let me tell it to the world. Just tell it to the judge. Come on, Alvin Bragg, where are you, Alvin? Dear kindly judge, your honor, my parents treat me rough. With all the marijuana, they won't give me a puff. They didn't want to have me, but somehow I was had. Leaping lizards, that's why I'm so bad. Right, Officer Crumpke, you're really a square. This boy don't need a judge, he needs an analyst's care. It's just his neurosis that ought to be kind. He's psychologically disturbed. I'm disturbed. We're disturbed, we're disturbed, we're the most disturbed. Like we're psychologically disturbed. Oh, this is classic. When the Jets and Sharks battling white ethnics versus Puerto Ricanos in West Side Story, when Officer Crumkey came in with his nightstick, they cleared out. And he was not a friendly dude. In fact, Justin Ellick, if he told you, you're loitering here. No, 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 Officer, no, no. When I come back around the block, if you're here, I'm going to make your kneecap sing and ring with my nightclub. My billy club. And they did. And gangbangers were fearful of the cop on the beat. You did not give beef to the cop on the te- uh, beat or he bust your teeth. And if he collared you and took you home to your mother because you were a, a J, he had to give you a JD card because you were young, which meant you were not delinquent, or your family. Your family would give you a beat down. Now what do they do? They sue the NYPD. Boy, have times changed. What have I been saying, Justin Ellick and Wrong Way, Lou Rufino, about Times Square? It's completely out of control. 42nd Street is controlled by the Venezuelan gangs who have been housed at us, the sucker taxpayers' expense. 
in the old McDonald's, which used to be the largest in the world, but never made a dime when it was open on 42nd between uh, 8th and 7th. It was really there for the signage, although they sold a lot of Macs, fries, and strawberry shakes. It, it never made profit for the parent corporation, McDonald's uh, Corporation in Oak Brook, Illinois. Then the lockdown and pandemic came, and it closed. Then all of a sudden, uh, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens, started converting that former McDonald's into uh, basically a hotel for the illegals. And the majority of those housed there are Venezuelans. At first, they would be hanging outside. They had the mopeds, the vespers, all illegal, none registered, no licenses. You know, complete defiance of the law, but they didn't know. They first come here, they see everything is for free. You walk into a Dwayne Reed, I see Americans coming out with bags full of free stuff, shoplifting. I see you can boost products, you can pickpocket Jasso, you can get in fights, you can hit a cop, and, you know, you're an untouchable as a Venezuelan because you have special status, and they'll cut you loose. And they never, ever, ever get in touch with ICE. And after a year of observing the American way in the land of Alvin Bragg, Manhattan DA in Manhattan, who turns criminal loose and wants to arrest those who stand their ground, as you saw Jose Alba in the uh, in the uh, bodega, who had to stab that miscreant who was coming over the counter. And then, of course, Daniel Penny, who uh, waits to go on trial, second-degree murder charge against... Uh, Jordan Neely emotionally disturbed a threat to everyone in the subway. You know that they've learned their lessons well. And as an organized gang, they see that we can get away with things here in New York City that we could never, never dream of getting away in Maduro land in Caracas, in Venezuela, where we come from, or even where we've spread in South America this gang to Lima, Peru, Santiago, Chile, and the main base, Bogota, Colombia, because that's where the money is. So it's not just street crime and thugs and gangbangers. It's also white-collar crime. Well, anyway, what happened last night? The chief of the NYPD shell was on with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. And he was talking about all the crime, crime in the subway, crime in the streets, what the NYPD had to do, the demonstrations. There was one right outside, outside of the Schmuck to Putz, Chuck E. Cheese's office, the Schmendrick to Pischer as all the Hamas crazies were out there, and we could actually watch them from high atop WABC. So the cops got their hands full. They've been handcuffed. Uh, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, was a house mouse. Never was a street cop. A house mouse. Never made a collar. 22 years. Signed a consent order decree with the courts that not only rewarded Black Lives Matter and Antifa with money, for what they claimed were damages done to them against the NYPD in the summer of George Floyd when there was rioting, looting, and shooting, and the consent decree forced the cops to back off. They couldn't put their hands on demonstrators. They basically had to take the Gandhian approach, you know, turn your cheek, nonviolent, civil disobedience, and just neutered, rendered the cops impotent. So last night is 5.30. Chief Shell is on. He's talking to John Reed and their contributors. And they're like uh, 24 migrant guys of uh, unknown background. I'm betting they're Venezuelan. Chasing this Nicaraguan guy 15 down the street. Right on 42nd Street. 
Wrong way, Luna Fina. It's 5.30 at night. It's rush hour. There are thousands of people there. It's the most trafficked area in the city. And they're like running for cover. And these guys catch the Nicaraguan, a 15-year-old who was standing at Mickey D's high rise, and they stick him up a few times, meaning with ships. And then they run away. And now the cops, once again, got to try to find these uh, illegal alien gangbangers, probably from a variety of countries, but I'm predicting mostly from Venezuela. Now, you could make the argument that a Nicaraguan in today's Nicaragua could seek asylum, could, because Daniel Ortega and his wife have made themselves emperors for life in Nicaragua. They've locked up all their dissidents. The only one they haven't locked up is the cardinal of the Roman Catholic Church. And this goes back to when the Contras and Ronald Reagan were battling the Sandinistas that were supported by Bill de Blasio and Charlene, that crook, when they went down there to support them against the Contras in 1983. Well, I would suggest this. Since they love the Nicaragua so much, and they got two homes, not one, two, on 7th Avenue and 11th Street in the heart of Park Slope, they should be forced to turn one of those uh, high-priced townhouses into a sanctuary for the Nicaraguans. You know, Park Slope, they, they do all the talking, but nobody there is like offering a, to house any of these illegal aliens. Why not? You love the Sandinistas? I'm sure this Nicaraguan 15-year-old who is not dead, thankfully, he was the victim. He was chased down by this mob, this gang, that uh, maybe you give him sanctuary, you know? You put him up in your house. Hey, isn't Bill de Blasio out most of the time chasing trim? Uh, chasing skirts while Charlene does whatever it is she's doing. They stay married because they know they're going to be sued for the one and a half billion dollars they stole from Thrive, a program that was supposed to be used to take care of the emotionally disturbed, and it never took care of one emotionally disturbed person. So after that mob went wild at 5.30 last night, and I've been telling everybody, I've been telling everybody, 42nd Street, Times Square, out of control. The Venezuelan thugs, the gangbangers control it. Two hours later, outside of the Hard Rock, Justin Ellick, you know where the Hard Rock is, right there on Broadway, right across the street from that mini police station, you know, the mini one with the neon lights. And another gang, we're not quite sure if it's the same gang, take a 28-year-old guy and they almost kill him. They put boots to his head, they're beating him viciously, Tourists and others and workers are running in all different directions. And guess what? The NYPD can't handle it, not because they don't want to, but they won't let them. They don't, they don't have nightsticks. They took their nightsticks away. They can't put their hands on them. They can't get, get aggressive. They can't get proactive. They got to be reactive. They got cameras in every section of Times Square, every square inch. What good does it do? You house these gangbangers at the old Milford Plaza, NY Row, on 45th and 8th, at the old Mickey D's, which they've turned into a no-tell motel. You got the Watson at 57th. You got the Statler across from uh, Madison Square Garden and a whole bunch of other hotels in Times Square. And it's mostly single-able-bodied young men of military age from Maduro's Venezuela, Many of them gangbangers you can see from the tattoos they came in with. So what is going to happen, ladies and gentlemen? Well, what happened is Kathy Crimewave Holcomb finally came to her senses. Remember when that first instance, uh, right outside of the New Amsterdam Theater, it was a Saturday night, 730, right on the deuce, 42nd Street. 
and the 14 Venezuelans put boots to the two cops, six of them are still on the lam. Everybody says, oh, deport them, deport them. They've rediscovered ICE. Well, guess what? Easier said than done. Venezuela has halted all flights of deported migrants from the U.S. and Mexico. That's what Maduro has done. Flights were a key tool for the Biden administration to deter illegal immigration from a major source country. That's over. It's shut down. So the best you could do is deport them to Mexico. It's called catch and release. So here all these Venezuelan guys, let's say you put them in Calexico, miles from the border, and all they're going to do is come back over, cross over from Tijuana into the San Ysidro Canyons, next stop San Diego, Los Angeles, and then they're coming back here. Or they're going to be coming through the border of Arizona. Can't do it with Governor Abbott any longer, man. He's got that razor wire spread everywhere. He's building a military base there for the National Guard. And they were averaging 10,000 a day. They're now down to three who are coming across a day who legally can say that they uh, qualify for sanctuary. You see, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we're dealing with. But people didn't want to listen to me. No, no, what is Sliwa? No, 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 no. He's a vigilante. He's a thug. He's a xenophobe. Oh, no, no, no. The cops need help, and the politicians are not helping them. The politicians are handcuffing them. My father is a bastard. My ma's an SOB. My grandpa's always plastered. My grandma pushes tea. My sister wears a mustache. My brother wears a dress. Goodness gracious, that's why I'm a mess. Yes, Officer Krupke, you're really a slob. This boy don't need a doctor, just a good, honest job. Society's played him a terrible trick. And sociologically, he's sick. I am sick. We are sick. We are sick. We are sick, sick, sick. Like we're sociologically sick. Bill Walsh, the theme song for the Warriors, cult classic about Subway, Subway gangs back in the late 70s. If uh, none of you were around, if you want to know what the Subways looked like in the 70s, when I first brought the Guardian Angels out from that Mickey D's on East Fordham Road in Webster on February 13th in 1979, as a night manager there at 45 years ago, you got to look at the Warriors. I'll let you know everything that's going on. And uh, it's exactly what it seems the subways are descending into. It's like you're going into the bowels of hell. Just crime after crime after crime. But have no fear. Have no fear. Wrong way, Lou Rufino. The MTA, money-taking agency, has decided let's spend money Let's spend money on getting new lights, LED lights in train stations. There are 472 train stations. And their feeling is, it's simple. A brighter station is a safer station. 
They clearly don't ride the subways, these uh, bureaucrats appointed by Kathy Crimewave Holcomb of the money-taking agency. They're over there at J Street, Borough Hall in Brooklyn, and they have Jeeves with the limo who takes them around. They have no idea what's going on in the subways. So they've already fixed some of the stations with these LED lights. And people have been asked, passengers who regularly use those stations, and they've been asked, have you detected a difference on Bergen Street, Carroll Street, Lafayette Avenue, right in Brooklyn? And the passengers have said, I didn't notice. I think better than wasting all that money on brighter lights would be more consistent police presence. Yes, more police, more police. In fact, uh, we got to go to our uh, Robbie Robot here, wrong way, Lou Rafino, because apparently uh, Eric Adams, who believes in technology, remember, he's the techno uh, mayor has decided to take uh, Nightscope K5, the robot, out of mothballs. It's been put up on the shelf for two months. It's had all kinds of problems. It was supposed to be the cure to the crime in the Times Square subway station, right below that street in which uh, Venezuelan gangbangers are beating up cops, beating up other migrants, and beating up tourists. So... um, He's got another plan, he said, uh, for the robot going forward. He was afraid that it would be attacked, vandalized, graffitied, and pushed in front of an oncoming number two train. So that's why he had it guarded always by two uniformed transit police officers, and he would keep it behind the police barricades. But now he's decided to uh, resuscitate the idea, and in fact, soon he claims you'll be hearing from Robbie Robot again. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Danger, no, Will Robinson. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Yo, 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 enough of that. Hey, Adams, I know, look, they're listening at City Hall. They listen at one police plaza. They got a Sleewood desk. Are you crazy? We need cops. And, in fact, recently, Eric Adams admitted that because we're spending all this money on the illegal aliens, of whom uh, none have been vetted. We don't know what their backgrounds are. They're like ghost criminals. As Eddie Caban has said, we got no paperwork on them. We got no pictures, no prints, no social networking, nothing. They're ghost criminals. And Eric Adams has decided to give them everything and take away from the policing in New York. In fact, recently, this is what Eric Adams had to say. We know we have to focus on uh, transit crime. Our transit system must re- remain safe. Uh, we had a shift in the number of officers we had uh, underground. Uh, the funding uh, ran out. The funding ran How does the funding run out? The funding runs out because he's bend o- bending over backwards to give the illegal aliens everything. Everything. And we, the people who pay the taxes, we get Ugats, we get Bubkis. And this is impacting uh, the number one tourist uh, attraction uh, of New York City, the gateway to the world Times Square, both underground and above ground. So now here is the problem. He has just announced yesterday that he has found a trash of money to uh, put the overtime back for the transit police. Remember when all of a sudden Congressman Lee Zeldin was cutting down the differential between he and Crime Wave Kathy Holcomb in the last two weeks. Crime was skyrocketing in the subway. 
And Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb with the MTA with discretionary funds just unloaded a ton of dough to make sure that you had transit cops in uniform bumping into one another to guarantee her election. And she barely got elected over Lee Zeldin because in the last two weeks, there were cops everywhere in the subway system. And then all of a sudden, the uh, overtime ran out. So now we're in a, the same precarious situation. Look at what happened earlier today, the lead story. They came from the 5 o'clock news edition of Noam Laden. I suggest that you all listen to it because he always has the cutting-edge stuff. It was a D train. It was about 5, 5.30 in the morning. And all of a sudden, a 45-year-old man was shot and killed right there at 183rd Street. Three guys had left that southbound uh, D train. They were all on camera and probably waving to the camera because they know that nothing's going to happen to them, even if they're caught. Because up in the Bronx, you have Darlene Clark, uh, who is like the female version of Alvin Bragg in Manhattan. Uh, you know, Sometimes if you kill somebody, wrong way, Lou Rufino, sometimes they remand you to jail, no bail in Randers Island. But even now, they'll cut you loose. They'll give you a bracelet. You know, you walk around like you're under supervised uh, supervision. Hey, nothing, nothing of that. So it's another crime. But I'd say probably the most difficult situation of all, and we have focused on this where others have negated their responsibility. I've, I've, I've I basically had a leg up on this human leg that was discovered on the tracks. Justin Ellick, did we ever have an answer as to uh, how a leg severed from a homeless guy living in the tunnels, which they do, they are the mole people, in the Lower East Side between Spring Street on the number six train and Broadway Lafayette, the F train, that's where they merge. Somehow he had ventured out onto the tracks, which they often do because they live deep within the recesses of the subway tunnels. There are workstations. I've been in there. They turn them into little hovels. They go in and out. Naturally, they're foraging for food above ground. And sometimes they've been hit and killed, and in this case, not only killed, but the uh, torso was missing a leg. Now, that leg, a week later, ends up between 167th and 170th on the uh, on the uptown number four train, the L, which is above the ground. And a little kid is looking out the window going, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. You know, he wants to be choo-choo Charlie the engineer, good and plenty, plenty, plenty good. How many times did you stare in the front window next to the motorman? Because it was so interesting. You thought, maybe I'll be a motorman one day. So the kid is all excited. He's a train buff. And now he's saying, no, no, Mom, that's a leg. No, no, that's probably from a mannequin. You're, you're exaggerating. Don't worry. You Don't worry. So just on a hunch, the motorman calls ahead to Woodlawn Road, the last stop, and they send what they call a track walker. Now, track walkers go out there, and they're supposed to make sure the tracks are not bent, that all the bolts are in, or the train can derail. Like you saw that F train on West 8th Street, the last right before the last stop in Coney Island, and Bright Meach just derailed. And as he's walking along, he sees the leg. And it's brought to the medical examiner, and the medical examiner determines it's a male leg. Uh, but there was no identification on the leg. Could you believe that? That was part of the uh, report, Justin Elliott. No identification on the leg. 
and they think that it's part of the, of the torso of the guy who was hit way down on the Lower East Side. We've yet to be able to figure out how that leg got all the way uptown, and when a week's worth of time, nobody noticed it. They said, oh, the snow, we covered it. Bull feathers. And it's not just that F train down there on Spring Street and Broadway Lafayette. There have been a series of problems involving this F train, as I just described. One was derailed right outside of Coney Island. Now you have people, two guys in a row, that have been killed on F train tracks. A guy was laying down at West 4th Street. Right? West 4th Street, Washington Square Park Station, on the F train tracks, 5 o'clock in the morning, sleeping, Justin Ellick, on the tracks. I tell you, they live in the tunnels. And the F train went right over him. I mean, severing him and like, oh, God, it's a gory death if you've ever seen the jumpers. I've seen jumpers generally. I don't know what it is. I've seen them in the Tokyo subway system that we patrol with the Guardian Angels, the London subway system. And I've seen them here in New York City. They put their their boots or their shoes at the end of the platform. And then they dive right into the incoming train. It is a horrible, horrible death. Why they take their shoes off, I have no idea. So this happened at 5 o'clock in the morning. And then it was preceded by a jumper on the tracks at Avenue N, the station in Midwood around 5 p.m. Tuesday, struck and killed by a southbound F, F train. What's going on with the F train? It derails uh, in Coney Island. It apparently has hit three homeless guys in like a period of two weeks, all of whom are dead. And they're sleeping on the tracks. You know how bad that is? Go to the uh, Instagram of WABC and go to my Instagram and my Facebook and my Twitter. You'll see the post that I put up of all the homeless and emotionally disturbed people that I run into each and every morning on my way to do Sit in Friends, my 705 hit, Monday through Fridays. It'll just make you cry. And our people, our Americans, are sleeping in subways, sleeping on tracks, emotionally disturbed, no shelter, and they're putting illegal aliens up at the Roosevelt Hotel, three squares a day, culturally appropriate food, iPhones, smartphones, health insurance, whatever you want, and then they go out and beat up the cops, and they're robbing and pillaging throughout Times Square. Is there something wrong with that equation? You're damn right, Eric Adams. Do your freaking job. Oh my God, there's a purple haze that consumes this city. It might as well be named Weed City. And it actually started back in 2021 when Andrew evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha, Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I, signed into law the legalization of the recreational use of marijuana. And then had no enforcement whatsoever. It's sort of like, it's total anarchy. People are just setting up illegal weed shops everywhere. And the state is being deprived of revenue. There are only 70 licensed weed shops since then across the state. From Buffalo to Brooklyn, 13 in New York City. There are 2,000 now illegal pop-up weed shops in New York City alone. And 8,000 throughout the state. And you say to yourself, 
who the goofballs who are overseeing this and understanding that even when they have a legal weed shop, you go down to the Lower East Side, there's one legal weed shop. It's surrounded by 30 illegal weed shops alone. Almost nobody goes to the legal state-licensed taxable uh, weed to buy because it's cheaper in the illegal weed shops. You get more variety and you can get, yes, Mendocino County uh, gold, you know, right up there from uh, Northern California. You can't. When you walk into a state-licensed shop from New York, you can only buy weed that's been grown and processed in New York on farms whether it's marijuana, edibles, vape products, etc., etc., What an absolute disaster. So what does Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb do? She imposes a $10,000 fine to the landlord if they see you have an illegal uh, shop open. And who has to uh, write up the tickets? One of the most crooked people in a crooked administration of Eric Adams. He's called a New York City sheriff, Anthony Mehrandi. Looks like Lurch, you rang. And they have no enforcement powers. They're basically revenue agents. It's not like sheriffs that many of you know. Like the other night when I was uh, at the Lincoln uh, dinner in Bergen County, uh, there are people running for sheriff. They, they do enforcement in the courts, enforcement in the jails. They actually patrol some unincorporated areas. I mean, that's the sheriff department that most of you know. In New York City, there is a sheriff department. They have absolutely no enforcement powers whatsoever. So they'll roll in off the street. They walk right into an illegal weed shop. Hey, Anthony Miranda, I know you're taking a siesta probably, taking a nap because you're not doing anything. We Just a, a brand new weed shop, Justin and Alec, opened half a block away from us. They had balloons. They had free samples. They say, bring your kids. We got edibles here. Uh, you know, the shape of candies. It's crazy. One block from the precinct. Why did they not let the precinct in each neighborhood go in and padlock and seize the product? Now, the New York City sheriff, they've done some um, photo ops in which they seize the product. Now, Justin Ellick, whenever I see these deputy do-dog sheriffs, I ask them, hey, where does the product go when you seize it? You're putting it in the hefty trash bags. Do you have a warehouse where you store the product? They said, none of your BIB business. Well, how do I know you're not turning it around and flipping it and selling it in the street in the black market? I mean, there are all these illegal weed shops, many of them owned and run by those from Yemen, who they have a bodega. And then all of a sudden, there's a series of empty mom-and-pop retail shops on the whole block, same landlord. So the Yemenite goes to the landlord, says, hey, look, how about cash and carry? We'll pay cash for the month. If we get closed down, don't worry about it. We got it. They're never going to enact this fine. It'll take a month of Sundays before they actually get you in a civil court. So it'll be cash and carry, and that's what's happened. And, in fact, the Yemenites are so organized that some of the money from the illegal weed sales here has popped up in, yes, Oh, yeah, Hootie Land, Yemen, helping to subsidize insurrection and the civil war there that continues between the Sunnis and the Shias. And as you know, the Houthis keep firing their missiles provided by Iran at all kinds of of uh, traffic in the Red Sea. So think about it. We're not closing any of these weed shops. 
How is this occurring? Look at our city. It's in a purple haze. You can't go down any block without wanting to wear a hazmat suit and a respirator. And it's only getting worse and worse and worse. By some estimates, there are 8,000 dispensaries of illegal weed in New York City alone that are co-mingled with other products. So you walk in, and in the back, they'll sell the buds and the illegal weed and the edibles and the vape products. But then there are some all-out open smoke shops. You go to many neighborhoods, the only thing open at night are the smoke shops, the weed shops. They got a fluorescent green leaf, which is like a divining rod. And they're doing mad business. And none of that money is going into the state of New York's treasuries. Imagine close to 10,000 illegal weed shops throughout New York State. Only 70 have been licensed legally by New York State where taxes can be collected. And there are only 13 in New York City, one of which on the Lower East Side is surrounded within walking distance by 30 illegal pop-up weed shops. This is crazy, crime wave Kathy Holcomb and Eric Adams. Shut them down. Lock them up. Shut them down. Padlock and destroy the product. This is the Rip and Read featuring Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. This is the Rip and Read. Remember, it was February of 2022 when Vladimir Putin decided he wanted the Ukraine. And he sent in his T-2 tanks in force. And they were expected to turn the Ukrainians into speed bumps. Uh, the administration of Joe Biden offered to fly Zelensky out uh, in Kiev. And Zelensky said, hell no. We stay, we fight. 
and they turned back the Russian horde. Now they're at an impasse. That's February of 2022. Now, I don't know if you're aware, Justin Ellick, there was a stream of close to 5 million refugees, wartime refugees, uh, and legitimately, we saw the Russians just level villages, uh, especially over in the eastern Ukraine, Donbass, that area all around there that was uh, invaded by in 2014 when Obama was uh, president and the Russians took that back to Crimea. But, I mean, whole villages just leveled. And the Russians, uh, you know, they used World War One, World War Two tactics, trench warfare, they use their own troops as fodder. They've used their prisoners. They've used uh, conscripts. They throw everybody at it. It's a meat grinder. So for the Ukrainians themselves, many of them have become wartime refugees. And we can make the argument that they might uh, qualify as asylum seekers, right? Hey, you know, we had to get the hell out of it. So there were 5 million. They had gone to Hungary and Poland mostly, but some to Romania. Slovakia and uh, Moldova. You, you think you could find Moldova on a map there, Justin Alec? Probably not. Most people have no idea where that is. But the fact is they fled there and some decided, hey, let's do the hop, skip, and a jump. The preferred location in Europe, Western Europe, naturally is Germany or your, or England or France. And if not that, you have the trifecta, the trinity, the troika of choices, which is the United States. And I remember right after the invasion by the T2 tanks of Putin and the resilience of the Ukrainians to hold the line and push them back, that there were a number, like thousands of Ukrainians who had made their way all the way to the border. It separates uh, the United States from Mexico, especially on the Texas side. And because they were Ukrainians and because they did have paperwork and some of them have skills, uh, superior skills to some of the illegals that are coming across the border now claiming uh, that they are asylum seekers. Some of them uh, computer programmers, teachers, nurses, uh, bringing skin le- uh, skill levels, they were granted a humanitarian parole. I like the way they say it. You're paroled into the country. And for some of these asylum seekers, as they're called, undocumented aliens, uh, I call them uh, migrants, uh, illegal aliens, they may not see a federal judge uh, to determine uh, if their status, in fact, qualifies for uh, potential uh, citizenship in the United States and for all of them to stay as asylum seekers, upwards of seven years. But something happened in the first few months, and I've been I've been talking about this a lot, Justin Ellick, as you know. I've been saying, where did all the Ukrainians go? I've been at a lot of the migrant shelters, uh, the brick-and-mortar ones uh, that the mayor has requisitioned around the city, to house these uh, visitors of his, we didn't ask for them. Uh, he not only asked for them, he rolled out the red carpet and gave them five-star top-shelf treatment with our tax dollars. But I've been going from uh, shelter to shelter, from the tents out in Creedmoor to the tents in Randall's Island, and boy, that's a cabal, 3,000 single, able-bodied young men of military age with nothing to do, nowhere to go, most of them Venezuelans, and you might as well be on Rikers Island because the gangs rule out there. They got, they're divided into three, the strongest being the Venezuelans, 
than the North Africans from the sub-Saharan countries that spent $18,000 to come to Mexico City. And then with Coyote's help, work their way up to the border, one uh, toe over, and they're in the United States and they want to come to New York. Mali, Mauritania, Chad, Sudan, Senegal, and way down Madagascar on the lower east coast of Africa, many of them having active ISIS and al-Qaeda cells. How crazy that is. But the point being is, is that these uh, Ukrainians, they were allowed in first. And then all of a sudden, they had to abide by what they call the U4U program, which meant they had to have sponsors. Now, wait a second. I don't understand this. And this is where we're going to do the deep dive next week with Nancy, who joins me Tuesdays and Thursdays. Why do Ukrainians fleeing a war with Russia that has leveled some of those villages? I mean, just wasted them the way they did in World War II and World War One. Why is it that a Ukrainian wartime refugee truly seeking asylum Many of them with skill levels that we need, they're not going to be Grubhub delivery guys or gals. How come somewhere in that pipeline, that process, in the first few months, when uh, they were making their way to Mexico City and making their way up to the border, separating ourselves, Texas from Mexico, and then uh, to parts unknown, why is the U4U program in effect for them where they have to get sponsors? That's right. Everyone that comes in from the Ukraine needs a sponsor, like so many of your grandparents, great-grandparents, and those who came even before them. Sponsor. Sponsor would show up at uh, Ellis Island, which was closed uh, 1954, which was when I was birthed. But be prior to that, you show up at Ellis Island. You had to have a friend or a family member here who would show up at Ellis Island and say, I will take full responsibility for this family, for the children. I will make sure that the rent is paid wherever they find a place to live, that they have food, that they have clothes on their back. Because particularly back in the 20s and 30s, there were no social service. There was no welfare. You had to go it alone. I know that happened with your grandparents, great-grandparents. It happened with my grandparents on my Italian side, the Bade's side, my mother, Francesca, Fidela and Nicoletta Bianchino. They had to have a sponsor. My my grandfather, Anton, who was coming from Poland after working in Liverpool as a master craftsman, having been trained in Krakow, he came out of the town of uh, Limanova. He was building the uh, cabins on the ocean cruises, earned his way over to Ellis Island. He said, where are you going? Where do you have sponsors? He said, Chicago. He showed him the paperwork because... He had family and he had contacts from Limanova. You had to have sponsors. Why is it that the only ones who have to have sponsors now are probably the only ones who would truly prove that they are wartime refugees and asylum seekers? What a joke with people walking right across the border. Now no Ukrainian immigrant can come through the southern border They cannot go through Eagle Pass in Texas or any of the other portals where you just say you're an asylum seeker because they'll say, no, no, you're Ukrainian. You got to have a U4U application. 
and they're slowing down the process now. Limigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service, ICE and Customs. You ask yourself, ladies and gentlemen, who more than the Ukrainians, whether you support or continued support of Zelensky in his war against Putin or not, you can certainly make the case that they are legitimate wartime refugees, they are asylum seekers, and most importantly, unlike uh, most of the other migrants, illegal aliens coming in, they have skill levels. So they can assimilate a lot more quickly. Many of them speak English. Assimilate and work jobs in the white-collar sector that we need filled. There's only so many people who can be delivering your Grubhub food. That's what most of these uh, migrants do now. What a mess. You heard it first here from yours truly, Curtis Sliwa. Nancy is going to continue to do the deep dive. Why the double standard for Ukrainian wartime refugees, asylum seekers, and everyone else just gets to walk in as long as they put one toe uh, into the United States and Catholic Charities is there to take them the rest of the way at taxpayers' expense. Taxpayers' expense. the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Sliwa. Curtis doesn't know about you, but he rips and reads. This is the Rip and Read. Wait, wait, wait. What is this happy day? Oh, happy days. What the hell is this? Come on, man. Come on. Can we can we redo that? Edwin Hawkins singers, Oh Happy Days, when Jesus was born. Where the hell did they get? I work hard. I bust my ass to do the best possible program I can do. And then these Gavones, these Gavones, they know nothing about nothing. Happy Days. All right, let's get spiritual. Because, you know, Swagger Man with no plan, Eric Adams is touring the black churches this weekend. Oh, God, who knows what he's going to say this weekend? Sing it, sing it. Oh, happy day. Happy day. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. When Jesus walked. Oh, when he walked. When Jesus wore, Looking at his schedule here, the series of black churches, he's got a lockdown, it's 25% support, where his complexion is his protection because, man, his poll numbers are crashing, 28%. Worst polling results of any mayor in the history of being mayor in New York City. I say it a lot. Worse. Then yes, Comrade Bill de Blasio, can you get any worse than that? So anyway, uh, the enabler himself, Reverend uh, A.R. Bernard, who joins Rabbi Joe Potasnik, they're both ass kisses of the mayor. They uh, kiss one cheek, they ch- kiss the other cheek. They're always making excuses for him, all during the campaign for mayor, never once invited me on to their program uh, Sunday mornings, uh, 7 to 8. 
Never invited me to the shul, uh, Rabbi Joe, and never invited me to your mega church, Reverend A.R. Bernard. Linden Boulevard, Pennsylvania Avenue. 5,000 people right there in Canarsie. Listen to the enabler himself, Reverend A.R. Bernard, as he talks about the speech about God that Eric Adams gave. And what he said is absolutely right. So there was a man sent from God whose name was Eric Adams. And you just heard him speak. Do you believe that? It's Reverend A. Obinard. Really, Reverend? He was sent by God? Are you out of your freaking mind? And I tell him that every time he comes here with Rabbi Joe Potashnik, I mean they are enablers of this just uh, incompetent mayor. There's no other way to describe it. But I know what he's going to do. He's going to be appealing to a black audience this weekend. He's going to get into his holy roller routine. You know, first he's going to be talking about how he walks in the spirit of God. I walk in the spirit of God. I talk in the spirit of God. 35 years ago, I set my GPS, my God positioning satellite, and I've been on one course and one destination. Damn, 35 years ago. How come I don't have a GPS, God positioning system? Hey, Justin Ellick, you want to learn Hebrew. Do you get a Hashem positioning system? You know, because you Jews were lost 40 years in the desert. You could have used one, right? A GPS, a God positioning system. So that's 35 years ago. Okay, let's let's do the God timeline of what he's going to go through at his black churches that he's visiting uh, all weekend long. Then there's 30 years ago. How could you forget this classic? 30-something years ago, I woke up in my sleep, out of my sleep in a cold sweat. God spoke to my heart and said, you are going to be the mayor January 1st, 2022. And the message was clear. God stated, you cannot be silent. You must tell everyone you know. Because it's a Judges 7, verse 2 through 7 moment. Because when you win the battle, I don't want you to think that you won on your own. And I don't want people to think that you won because of you, who you are. Oh, man. Brother Eric Adams. Pastor Eric Adams, yo, Justin, he's kicking scripture now. Now, I know you're Old Testament guy, you know, but he's kicking some New Testament too. And although you don't necessarily believe this, Justin, Alec, when you were in, uh, when you were in Jerusalem, the holy city, you walked on some of the same streets with King David, now known as Sid Rosenberg, that Jesus himself walked. And recently at a meeting in Brownsville, the heart of Brownsville never ran, never will, to a predominantly black audience, mostly of women 55 plus, who vote. When the reverend tells them to vote, they vote. The guys, not so much. The women, oh, it's like it's a religious vocation. And Eric Adams decided he wanted to start kicking scriptures with some of the black church ladies. Ma'am, this is a Matthew 21 and 12 moment. Jesus walked in the temple. He saw them doing wrong in the temple. He did what? He turned the table over. I went to City Hall to turn the table over. 
Now you hear that, Justin Ellick? You would know that New Testament, Matthew twenty-one twelve. Jesus goes into the temple, and you know who's in the temple, Justin? You, the Jews, the Pharisees, and you are money changers and money lenders. And Jesus was so offended that you would do that in the the sanctums of the temple of Hashem. He cast out. The money lenders and money exchanges. And by the way, do you really believe Justin that when he went into City Hall, that's the first thing he did? Or did he put a big sign out? Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. You can wind me, dime me, pocket line me because this city is for sale. Oh, yeah. And then he wants to remind every black audience that he has turned this from uh, a um, mosaic, this city. Into a chocolate city. Look at my look at my deputy mayors. First deputy mayor, Sheena Wright. Deputy Mayor, stand up, stand up. They need to see you. Deputy Mayor Williams Ison. Deputy Mayor Mira Josie. Deputy Mayor Amazar. Deputy Mayor Maria Torres Springer. Have you ever seen this much chocolate leading the city of New York? Have you ever seen so much chocolate leading the city of New York? Okay, I have my choral arrangement, please. I'm still in my spiritual filling here. Wrong way, Lou Rafino. I need to feel sanctimonious. I need to feel the Spirit of God. I need to feel the Holy Spirit. I need to feel God the Father, Hashem. I need to feel Jesus. Yeah, I'm getting them ready, right? You know, he's making the circuit. I mean, he's making the circuit. Oh, my God, I'm looking at my cut sheet here. I'm, I'm missing some stuff here. That's typical. It's okay. I'll make it go a bit. Oh, man, am I pissed. I think I'm going to have to go to church on Sunday. Remember, Curtis Lee was an AMP Catholic. Ashes on Wednesday, Palms on Sunday, and then I'm not there for a month of Sunday. But Eric Adams has sinned. You know, Justin Ellick in wrong way, Lou Rufino. He is referred to you, and as much as Sin, uh, Sid doesn't want to believe him too, his very dear friend, he calls all of us crackers. Every day in the police department, I kicked those crackers' ass, man. I was unbelievable. He's proud of that. Didn't surface during the campaign against me. You know I would have used that. But then again, the media was protecting Eric Adams. His complexion was his protection. And remember, they had him anointed. He was the new face of the Democratic Party. He was on his way at some point to being the second African-American president of the United States at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue over my dead body. Uh, he'll be on his way in chains and shackles to the big house for political corruption. That's my prediction. And he even referred to God bringing him together with a nefarious operator of that debit card company in Newark, New Jersey, that's providing illegal aliens with $1,000 on their snap cards, courtesy of the sucker taxpayers of the city of New York. Those are food contracts. That's what Mocha Fire was all about. A MWBE company that we met on the campaign trail and stated that we think we're going to need you. Literally, we know that God is going to say there's going to be a crisis. You're going to have to meet them. And Deputy Mayor, First Deputy Mayor Wright reached out to them. And it's going to cost us money, put investment into local bodegas, coffee shops, 
stores and supermarkets in our community. Little did we know that God would guide us through this crisis again. Justin, I can't quite figure this out. Why is God talking to Eric Adams? Uh, Generally, the people I deal with in the subways and streets are schizophrenic, many of them emotionally disturbed. They think God's talking to them, too. I don't know. God never seems to want to talk to me. The only thing, when I first ever say Eric Adams, because I've known him over 40 years, and he called me a racist, a sexist, a misogynist, a homophobe, he called me an anti-Semite. He went the whole nine yards when he was running against me. But I will never forget what he said from the bully pulpit of the state senate when he was first sworn in. Up there in the crooked land of Albany, where you got crooked Republicans and Democrats with their beak in the trough, where they get wine dined and pocket lined by the lobbyists. He was there with the media. He was there with his friends and the lobbyists. This is what they heard, his battle cry, and oh my God, they were so filled with foot Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. And if you want to deal with Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens, there is one cardinal rule, Justin Ellick. Could I hear that again? One cardinal rule. Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. Up next, I've had it with Sid Rosenberg. I am tired, and all of you should be tired, subsidizing him as a welfare queen. That's right. He's a freaking welfare queen pimping off our tax dollars because he wants to be able to take the New York City ferry back to the Irish Riviera each day from... uh, down in Lower Manhattan at taxpayers' expense. Do you know Justin Ellick for his miserable swipe of a metro car to get him out to the Rockaways? We got to pay $13 to cover, to cover him with a subsidy. Sid Rosenberg, welfare queen. Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a faithful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailor man, skipper, brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour. Now, it could easily be Sid uh, Rosenberg, who has decided that he wants us to subsidize his continued use of New York City Ferry, which yesterday announced bankruptcy. It's gone Chapter 11, 10 cents uh, to, on every dollar to its vendors, and they want us to bail them out. These are all the ferry services, mostly for the hipsters and millennials. They swipe their metro card. It costs them about three bucks. And we now have to add an additional $13 for every ride. So Sid Rosenberg, oh, first off, he was crying. He was crying about how it cost him $135. I'm sick and tired of paying $135 a month for unlimited subway rides when I see guys, right when I walk in, jump over the turnstile. And they're wearing suits. Well, let me tell you something, Sid. 
Now you can actually jump over the turnstile yourself and take the A train. That's right. No more subsidies for you, you welfare queen. You talk about, oh, why are we giving money to the migrants? Why uh, why are we uh, doling out welfare? Meantime, Mr. Big Stuff, who do you think he is? Sid Rosenberg wants us to continue to pay an even increased subsidy so he can take the ferry downtown Manhattan, right near Wall Street, all the way back to the Irish Riviera, the way he lives in Bell Harbor, Ponset, Rockaway Beach. Breezy point. It started as a six dollar and fifty cent subsidy under that ripoff artist, uh, comrade Bill de Blasio, part time mayor, dope from Park Slope. I wonder what kind of kickbacks he got on that contract. It went up to nine dollars. Now it's thirteen dollars a ride. For every freaking ride, we have to pay thirteen dollars and all they do is swipe their Metro card. Enough is enough. If you see Sid Rosenberg out there in the Rockaways this weekend, you let him know, hey, welfare queen, that's it. We ain't paying for you no more. Take the A train. You take the shuttle from Beach 116th Street to Broad Channel. You switch there to the A train, and you come right here to WABC in the morning to talk to all of you back on 6 to 10 Monday.